Hi, and welcome to the Team Deacons podcast. This podcast is a dialogue between Roger and James Deacons, joined by Matt Wyman, starting from a submitted question and ending who knows where. We're also joined by guests on occasion. We're connecting through Zoom, so bear that in mind when you hear the audio. If you'd like to submit a question, please do so by emailing pod, P-O-D, at rogerdeacons.com. Today, we're looking at the role of set still photographer. We're very lucky to have someone with us today that we've had the pleasure of working with many times. He's worked on many movies, a few being Little Women, Marriage Story, Baby Driver, Prisoners, Men in Black 3, True Grit, and A Serious Man. We're happy to welcome Wilson Webb with us today. Hello. So, Wilson. Yes. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, can you tell us, just to start with, how you ended up doing what you do? Yes, I'll try to make it as short as possible. My father was an amateur photographer, and so I always had cameras around, and I was always interested uh, in them as a child. And um, in high school, I took a Votech class that was about video production, and that led me to a job at a theatrical store, in, in this is Clarenton, Virginia. And there I met a filmmaker who was trying to cash in on the low-budget horror trend at the time. And so mm-hmm. he came in and asked about gore makeup, and it had just so happened that I had been studying it. And so I started working with this man, Jeff, Jeff Smith, and we made a trailer for a really bad low-budget horror film. But one of the other <laughs> people that he had found in the community was a wealthy individual who collected horror props from real movies. So we had real props and we had a lot of gore and a lot of fake blood, you know, average script. And we made a trailer. (laughs) And um, then my first summer out of college, we worked and made that film in Mississippi. From there, I went to Goddard College in Plainfield, Vermont, very liberal arts college and studied film and photography and a year later transferred to Minneapolis College of Art and Design because I wanted to be in a bigger school and with a bigger community. So I started working there and there a alumni was making a film, Bruce Charlesworth, who is a photographer mostly, but he made a film and had students work on it. And he had hired one a professional from the town, and that was a gaffer named Dave Myers. And Dave Myers taught me how to be an electrician. And so I started working. Uh-huh. He really liked my energy, liked that I paid attention. And so I started working on commercials here in town in Minneapolis. And then I started working on features. And my first big feature was Iron Will, a Disney film in um, 90. Or maybe that was my first big introduction. I was on the rigging crew. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked on uh, Min- Minnesota was the first state to have film incentives for taxes. So there was a period there from about 94 to 
98 that we had a lot of filmmaking here. And wow. I worked on all those films that were then there. It's like Mighty Ducks were there, uh, Jingle All the Way, Simple Plan. There was a whole bunch, Feeling Minnesota, quite a few. And all the time I was also doing photography. And as an electrician, I'd always have a small camera on my belt and I'd be snapping photos when I thought people wouldn't be seeing me. So I did that for 10 years, more or less. I also gaffed commercials and some smaller features. And then that gaffing rolled into, hey, can you gaff and take photos at the same time? on these smaller productions. Wow. Sure, why not? Right. Wow. And so one of the movies, Bob Graft was the location still before he went to work Mm -hmm. with the Coens. And he knew my name when you all came to shoot Serious Man. The Coens, of course, were just asking, hey, is there anybody available locally? Uh, We're interested in seeing what's, you know, what's out there. And I guess there weren't a lot of, photographers here in town that had set experience of course mm-hmm. and so my name came up and I went in and uh interviewed with Cohen's showed them some of my covert photography as well as what I was doing personally and they said why not let's give it a shot and from there they recommended me to Barry Sonnenfeld and to Noah Baumbach and the ball just kept rolling from there so that's the shortest story. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I think that what people don't realize, and of course I could be completely wrong because I don't do what you do, but what I see is the role of the still photographer on set is actually very complicated because you've got the studio on one side because you're basically getting them shots for their publicity, right? That's correct. And then you've got the cinematographer on the other side that's doing something very specific. So do you divide up what you're doing? Do you try and shoot things that represent what the cinematographer has shot, but then you also need to get very specific publicity shots, right? Yeah. Um, now that I've been doing this a while, it's it's much easier to know what everyone wants and they know that I'll get what they want. But I'll, mm-hmm. I'm also at a place where I'm experienced enough that I know that I need to do things for myself as well as check the boxes for everybody else. Yes, the main purpose that I'm employed or any onset photographer is employed is to help sell the film. And so Mm -hmm. that those photos can be shown in magazines and on the internet and Instagram and everywhere like that. That's number one. But I do feel a, a very strong creative drive to try to make my photos look like what the final film is going to be. And I don't mean exact framing, and I, mm-hmm. but I, to try to get into the mood of what the film is and what the director photography is going for um, and the director. And then, and then there's that other aspect of the film. When I shoot film, that's sort of more for me and more for the director generally, if the director is someone that's inter- interested in that. Mm-hmm. So I check, I try to check all those boxes, but if mm-hmm. I don't get the photos that they can put magazines, then they're not going to be happy and I won't work again. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you also have that added difficulty of the fact that you're dealing with actors that have their own publicists and have their own way they want to be seen and everything. And 
I've seen sometimes on set where an actor, a new actor will come on set and does not want to see the still photographer anywhere. So the still photographer has to hide everywhere and get the shots that he still needs to get, he or she. We had a question from the website that, what do you do when the actor comes on one day and just isn't in the mood? How do you get around that? Well, it's difficult because as you both know, it's a very collaborative process. And so most actors know that there has to be a crew around and there has to be people fulfilling their jobs. Um, I've only experienced maybe once or twice, I don't have to name any names, but one is with a movie you two worked on, um, where an actor <laughs> was very opposed to having a set photographer around. And in fact, ask me to not shoot when we're rolling, which is what I do all the time. Um, so that was... So what did you do? How well, did you get around um, that? I shot as much as I could at rehearsals and mm -hmm. any downtime. Uh, I tried to keep even more low profile than I normally do. And I guess this is kind of giving it away, but the actor had an eye patch and I could be on his eye patch <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, that was very convenient, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank God. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I could use longer lenses, try to get back and blend in more. A big part of my job is trying not to be noticed. So hopefully if I do my job right, unless there's uh, an unusual situation people won't be able to point me out you know I, or, or yeah I you're very good at that there. actually mm. you're very good at that and sometimes do the actors have the right to kill photographs yeah so in the actor's contract depending on what their details say they have the right to kill a certain percentage of photos i think the average is about 20 percent and it might be different with photos that only they're in and photos that they're in with other cast members, but they all have a different amount. Kind of going backwards, that is the more the A-list actors. The newer actors mm -hmm. and people that haven't established don't generally have that in their contract yet. They don't have to give any reasons why they don't like a photo or anything. They can just say, I don't look good, you know, or whatever. So You also do straight portraits on a film, don't you? So it's not only on set work and shoot rehearsals and takes you actually set up a portrait studio often don't you yeah i try to get the actors in my space at some time during the shoot and sometimes that's set up by the studio and it's often called a gallery shoot uh and that is so we can just get cleaner images that they can use for all all sorts of posters or advertising and again, when I do that, it's just like the work on set. I try to do what some of what the studio likes. Sometimes I'll get very explicit notes, and sometimes they just say, get everything you can. And so I try to get what I know they want, and then I might have three or four different lighting setups in the same space and have the actor, okay, now that we're done with this big, wide, seamless shot, can you rotate your body this way and I have uh, flashes on a different channel that I can turn the old flashes off and the new flashes on. I'll take some of those and then I might do it one more time in a, another little lighting setup just because those get as much variety as quickly as possible and also because there are things that I want to try to do for a portrait that the studio might not want to. 
Do you think your technique in the portrait studio is, comes from, uh, well, it must have been a help working as an electrician for those years, right? Oh, greatly, Previously. yeah, greatly. Yeah. I really always love um, light and looking at it and thinking about it and oh, whatever the DP is doing, I'm always trying to pay attention. It was a huge help to come from the lighting background. It also helps me on set to know where not to be, which is as important where to be yeah for sure could you just talk more about like your day-to-day from sure you know you have a lot of photographers and people who are use cameras who listen to the show and i'm just thinking from experience i have like having people go through your your photos are you you're shooting all day you're trying to catch candid moments you're trying to catch staged moments you have times when you're doing those studio type shots and at the end of the day, you have all you have to go dump, whether it's hundreds of gigabytes or a terabyte of photos, and then you send it to the studio, and then you have like are these your images? Just like talk about that full process of your your sure. actual day. So a general day is I try to be there as close to call as possible. So I'm ready, get my equipment ready. I'm shooting alongside the the main crew at all times, but I'm also shooting when in between setups. Best case scenario, the studio wants as much as I can give them. So they want behind the scenes, you know, they want actors, singles and doubles and whoever, how many actors are in scenes. They want the set. They want interactions with crew members is very important. And so there's really very little time during the day that I'm not shooting. Uh, And then I will go home at the end of the day. I usually stay until wrap unless the last scene is something that's been going on a long time. And I feel I have plenty of photography, you know, photography collected for that. So then I will go home or hotel or wherever and download all the work and edit all the work, pick what I think are the best images for the day and then start all over the next day. That hard drive goes to this, studio or to the post-production house uh, once to twice a week, depending on what the preference is. So you mentioned you edit the work. Is that kind of a light pass? Are you doing full edits? And do you have an editor, like whether it's somebody the studio gives you or you have somebody you use as well for post? Hmm. No, I do all that easy. Yeah, I do all my own editing. And, um, you know, I kind of, I guess it's a, it's a, depends on the project and it depends on what studios ask for but generally it's a light edit it's to get rid of things that i don't think are any good i don't want anyone to see that i've taken uh something might be out of focus or composition bad uh if i took 40 pictures of one scene i might you know say well we only need 15 of these that are the best and somebody else can decide from those 15 what they want to use Again, the studio wants as much content as I want to give them, generally speaking, without being repetitive. I have heard stories of photographers turning in hard drives, and there's 40 pictures where it looks exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be that headache. So the studio basically gets your stuff maybe once a week. Yes. Does that then mean a phone call to discuss it with them? Generally not. I'm always Mm -hmm. talking with someone at the studio on and off. 
Um, sometimes they want it twice a week if it's a project they really want to get the jump on or, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of what's happening now with social media is trying to get the photos out even while we're shooting still. Yeah. So um, it's become a bit more, they want things faster just as everybody does. So when you edit them, you're also timing them and getting them to the point that you want, right? Generally, what I do is uh, out of the very small select photos that I think are the best, I will time those and I will try to do it in a way that is as close as I can get and with the information that I know what the DP and the director are going for. Um, Sometimes we'll have that conversation. Sometimes I'll show them work and say, you know, which, how close is this to what you're thinking? Some DPs aren't in that place at all when they're shooting. Others know like yourself exactly what you want it to look like more or less. Sometimes I'm invited to the daily uh, email list so I can get an idea of what that timing looks like Mm. on the dailies after they're timed by the DP. So it's, there's never one way to do it and it's all dependent on the project, I guess. But yes, at the end of the week, I will put together the smallest group that I can that I think are good images, time them how I think it looks good. And then that will go as a packet to usually director, producers, studio. Sometimes DPs are interested. Do you get feedback from them? Yeah. All of those people too? Yeah. For the most part I do. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Everybody's so busy that there isn't, you know, a lot of time to go over it, but it's usually just uh, more or less, these look great, thank you kind of thing. It's not nitpicky little things. They know it's a, a very wide net that I'm kind of casting and just saying, mm-hmm. here's a small group of photos from this whole week that I think are good. And often I'll hear from a director, uh, you know, I forgot we even shot that or I'm excited. I usually mm-hmm. hear, I'm so excited when I see your photos because I forgot how it looked when we shot it. And we're, <laughs> you know, 12 scenes ahead and we're just right. going, going, going. So, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's quite often I hear, oh, we're making a real movie. That's <laughs> what I hear. <laughs> I see hey, this might work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you call through these photos, but do you also keep some of the ones that you haven't sent? So if they ask later, oh, do you have something like this? I, I mean, do you keep them or do you just delete them? I delete anything that's horrible. That you hate. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. I hate, <laughs> you know. I get that, yeah. Um, there is, uh, if the studio asked me that, I would say they get everything 100%. Yeah, of course you would. But yeah, right. there are certain things that I keep. Sometimes the film that I shoot is, again, depending on the project and depending on the filmmakers in the studio, they're not generally as interested because I only shoot black and white. So I reserve more of that work mm-hmm. and, and is, are more selective with what yeah. people see there. But I, je- I, don't, I don't have things in reserve like, oh, I wish we had one more. And I said, well, check this one out. Funny thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. Are you shooting on film or digital? Uh, both. Mm-hmm. I've always loved film. Uh, of course, I started shooting just film. But for me, the film cameras and the different aspect ratios of those cameras make me think more about what I'm doing and what Mm. image and what camera and what film and could work better for certain situations. 
So majority of stuff that goes to the studio is digital and mm-hmm. uh, maybe not even a tenth is film. Can you talk a little bit about your selection process and the idea of controlling kind of what gets out there? And for me, it comes from when I used to shoot a wedding or shoot something where you kind of want to keep that secret sauce and those pictures that you hate to yourself because it's kind of controlling your output. And then just talk about like your uh, artistic integrity. I don't know what you want to call it, but like controlling what people are seeing. Yeah. When I did a serious man with you all, I sent in 90% of what I shot and that's what they wanted because I was a new photographer in the system and they wanted as much variation as possible. And they didn't know me. Mm-hmm. They didn't know, you know, what my eye was or what I would gravitate to being good photo or not. Um, now I would say I probably send in 40% of what I shoot. And yes, it's important to not send in bad photos. Uh, for me, anyways. <laughs> well, that sounds obvious, but apparently from sto- some stories I hear, it's not always what happens the way yeah yeah but in an well in another odd example sometimes i'll send in photos that don't make perfect sense but i know they can use for other purposes for example on greenberg a noel bombeck film with ben stiller the poster is him looking straight up and there's like a thought bubble that has text in it So that was, Mm -hmm. you know, Ben sitting at a table, camera was over his shoulder shooting an insert of what he was writing on a desk. And he looked up to look at the microphone. For some reason, I snapped a picture or two and I just thought, man, whatever, I'll send it in. Let Uh somebody else think about it, you know? And then that's what became the cover. And I could have never imagined that. I could have never thought (laughs) that, you know? So I, I always have to try to keep a little bit of, room there for variations on things and that's another Mm -hmm. reason why i don't shoot just what the director of photography is shooting frame wise Mm -hmm. also i try to get a lot of different frames and do you shoot the poster or is that oftentimes someone else uh i would say i shoot the poster i don't know eight out of ten times it depends again Mm -hmm. on the filmmaker and the studio and what they're going for. Sometimes there are some photographers that just shoot movie posters mm-hmm. and they'll bring them in for a lot of the Marvel posters, that type of really mm-hmm. high end fancy stuff have people. That's all they do. But um, a lot of the films that I do, I will set up a, a gallery shoot and have the actors to myself for different amounts of time for that purpose. Um, but uh, that being said, half of the poster shoots, I would say, or maybe a third, are from the unit photography, too. So you never wow. know for sure. Yeah. And I could shoot a whole gallery shoot and set up a big studio and have three or four different lighting setups and assistants. And then they could go with something that we shot on set, too. That happens. During the course of the film, do they ever say, wow, that's <laughs> going to be a really great poster? Because I'm always surprised at the end. I never know what that poster is going to be. Right. And sometimes it's great, and sometimes you wonder, hmm. Yeah, right. Usually uh, the publicist, if there's someone that's really interested in images, will be like, that is a great poster shot. You know, the Mm -hmm. ones that have been around longer. 
and have experience. Less from the studio because they kind of hold their reserve until they see everything. And, And then from my understanding is that generally, again, to say Greenberg, for an example, I went to Focus, I think it was Focus, and they showed me all the artwork that they had made from my photos. And it was a very thick book. And they probably made, oh, 75 poster images. And I was just blown away, you know, and maybe that's, that's a little much for most productions, but they gave the they gave a whole bunch of photos to a whole bunch of art uh, directors and people that work in posters and said just do what you want you know and then they kind of call it down from there so it's different for for every job but i would say in general we don't know what the poster is going to be even on the higher end films where i'm given a mock up of a poster doesn't mean that's going to be used that way Sometimes yeah. I do get sketches that are very detailed about what they want me to shoot. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But not very often. And it's usually, oh yeah, we didn't do a poster shoot. We got a week left for shooting. Let's hurry up and get it in this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty close with the publicist throughout because I always see the publicist talking with a still photographer. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> it's all gossip. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> um, no, generally. So, what the publicist does for anyone not uh, know that knows, they are sort of a liaison between the studio, the actors, and the directors, as far as a conduit that anything that needs to be done. For the studio, publicity-wise, interviews, behind-the-scenes footage, photo shoots, the publicist is in charge of that. Publicist also has to go through all of my photos and label every single one with who was in it, what the scene was. That's great that you don't have to do I'm that. I'm very thankful I don't <laughs> have to do that. Um, so, But generally, the publicist and I will just talk about how things are going, if anyone special is visiting set that I need to be aware of or I need to Mm -hmm. make sure I get certain photos of, if they've heard anything from the studio about, oh, we really want this scene or that scene. or They're usually just uh, kind of uh, lubing the wheels of how the process is going. And So if we're working on a set and we get a visit by Steven Spielberg, you're going to have to shoot him that day? Yes. That's uh, part of your day? Yeah. On Men in Black 3, he came to visit and it was like, okay, pay attention. He's not going to make a big deal of himself, but we need photos of him and Will Smith. That was a a good example. So what was tough is they're in a corner where there is zero light. That's what's tough, you know? Um, well, and also if they're talking and you're walking up to them, that's a little tough. It's a little tough, but Will is so, you know, he's so giving uh, in that respect that he even knows like, oh, I need to look good and I need to angle a little <laughs> more, more towards camera while I'm talking to <laughs> good Steven. <for> him. <laughs> so you do get actors that are very giving like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, it can be a, quite a challenge. It's usually... Um, something that they're used to and aware of, you know, and if it's, if it seems 
appropriate, I'll just introduce myself and say, I, you know, hello, how are you? I'm the set photographer. Do you mind if I take some photos um, just of what's going on? And they usually And that me. must be something that you have to do in the beginning, too, to get the actors relaxed. Like what we were saying when we do hair and makeup tests and everything, that part of it's, too, to get to know the actors so they know who they're going to see around. But you especially, because you're always right in their face. Not really, but, you know, yeah, no, it's, you're always yeah. there. It's very, it, it's a very delicate uh, dance that I have to do because every actor has their own comfort level with people that are mm -hmm. around them while they're acting. And that makes perfect sense. Um, so, yes, I do try to introduce myself early on in the process, because if you don't, there's a wall there. And it feels mm -hmm. like I don't know who that person is when I come to set. And it's not as comfortable for, for both people involved. Yeah. So yeah. I try to always say hi, you know, introduce myself. And I uh, try to say, let me know if I'm ever in your eyeline or bothering you for any reason. I'll have no problem with stepping out, stepping away. I, it's totally fine. Because if I don't say that, and they feel that way, it might become a big issue where they have to talk to a director or the AD and they have mm -hmm. to talk to me and there's this wall that I, we don't need, you know, it doesn't help. Mm -hmm. And some of the spaces are so tight, you know, that it's important to have that camaraderie with other crew members, you know, such as Roger mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and camera operators and dolly grips and me and the boom operator are always kind of vying for the same space a lot of times in smaller sets. So it's really important to get along. And, and it's also important to remember the, the adage that a film can be made without the still photographer and without the publicist. But everyone else on set is almost more or less required to be there to make the film. Wow. So that's something to always keep in mind because I'm not that important in what gets shot during the day. I'll be important later when they want to sell it, but mm -hmm. to not have an attitude about, you know, okay, this set is too small or there needs to be balance cards here. I got to step out of this one. It's no big deal. So I try to keep mm -hmm. that in mind at all times. Must must be more difficult with somebody like me who has a lot of bounce cards. <laughs> Sorry about that, Wilson. <laughs> but the good thing is that you like him, so you always try and make sure well, there's a spot part for of him. the It was all, all part of the back and forth, and it? it's part of the day you have with anybody on the crew. You know, true you, you've grit got to was, make a sort of joke of it. Yes, yeah, true grit was a challenge with all the twenty yeah. guys and yeah, you know, pass, yeah. kind of passive bounces and stuff. <laughs> it was tough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then Every to have uh, an actor that didn't enjoy being photographed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he had his own camera with him all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. So I thought it would be the opposite. I thought he would be a little bit more giving. So uh, I want to ask you this, um, Wilson. I mean, is there any photographer who's done behind the scenes of a movie that you kind of really admire, that you kind of looked at when you were starting? Yeah, I looked at a lot of photographers, and I still try to look at a lot of, um, not just on-set photographers, but I do pay attention to them. And an early one that that I was really enamored by was uh, Bob Willoughby. And he was uh, around, I think, mostly 40s, 50s, and 60s, maybe late 40s, 50s, and 60s. And Greg Williams is another really amazing onset photographer. And 
both of those photographers influenced a lot of just kind of give me parameters of what to shoot mm -hmm. and how to shoot. Mm -hmm. And then directors of photography has always been big influences too. And other still photographers in, in the art world. Elliot Erwitt is one of my favorites. Of course, Irving Penn is amazing. Mary Ellen Mark, who mm -hmm. uh, you mm -hmm. worked with too. Um, mm -hmm. She informed a lot of my early thoughts about what could be possible. But such as yourself, I'm also influenced a lot by uh, painting and, and all different art forms as well. But I would say Bob Willoughby would be the biggest influence, probably. I think one, one, was it Eva Arnold that did the behind the scenes on the Misfits? It's very famous background photographs. Yeah, that, that, I thought that was Bob, actually. That's oh, a good maybe, question. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, we'll look it up. I think maybe even Eve Arnold was there just for a while ago. Because it always strikes me that those photographs are, are so intimate, the ones especially of Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, they are. They're, and I'm, I've always been interested in their, in that relationship yeah. that that photographer had with her or whether or not that was just something they are inherently good at. You know, because right. I don't always like feel also, comfortable yeah. getting that close behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. It just depends on my relationship with the actor, and sometimes I'll ask them if they're if they're offset. Generally, take less photos of them because I know people all need their space. And yeah, I don't mm -hmm. want to be that person of like always. Oh, I you turn around, I'm always there. I can't get five minutes alone, kind of thing. But there is an intimacy in those particular photos and some of the best photo photos, especially the Greg Williams um, has a lot of behind the scenes and making of mm. photos that uh, touch on that intimacy with actors and, and what's going on around them. And that's partly why when I shoot the film work, my favorite camera is the Hasselblad X-Pan, which is a panoramic camera. Mm -hmm. And partly it's a 30 mil lens on 35 millimeter film. And mm. it's basically a two to seven ratio. So you're getting a lot of information in there. So generally this camera is about filmmaking. It's about the mm -hmm. environment that's happening and what gen, I try to capture strange things with this camera. There's, there's always a lot of strange <laughs> things going on in set. And, certainly <laughs> and that camera is amazing at you see all this action over here you know and then you see some other action over here and how they connect and so that's that's one one of the cameras that i always lean to for behind the scenes and then my mamiya is a 120 camera it's a six by seven format and um this is generally more portraiture and for single people um, photos that are kind of more on the intimate side, although it's a 65 mil, so it's pretty wide for a two and a quarter camera. That's like a 27 mil or something on a 35. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So every camera has its own purpose for me. And when I'm on set, it, it's always, my brain is always kind of thinking what frame would look best with what image. 
But to me, when I get the black and white photos back, you know, I send them off to a lab once a week. And the lab I use is a small little place in Salt Lake City that I found years and years ago. And he's just a one-man operation. And it usually takes two to three weeks for me to get film back. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I could get wow. it faster, no problem. But huh. part of that is actually exciting to me because I forgot what yeah. I shot. Or, you know, <laughs> it's like Christmas. And those images to me are my most uh, important or what I feel is mm -hmm. uh, most attached to, I guess. And, and they're also sort of, they speak a little bit more to the legacy of the filmmaker, the crew, the, the production, the whole, the whole effort, you know, of the mm. making of. When you go on set to start your day, do you have more than one camera on you? It took me six or seven years to realize I shouldn't wear three cameras all day long. So now, I'm still, <laughs> I have, now I have really rough knots, <laughs> um, but I will generally have three cameras very quickly that I can reach for. And now I try to, I mostly use a monopod for the majority of times that I can so that I'm not, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I held a camera like this at Blint mm. for like this for eight years. And which is far out from, yeah, it's chest. far out. It's heavy. And I didn't realize the damage I was doing on my shoulders all that time. So now I try not to put a lot of weight on my shoulders. I'll just have a smaller camera bag and I'll have cameras, you know, where I can reach them really quickly. So, but there are times that you're just out in the middle of the woods and or that I have to carry more than one on me, but I generally trying to take yeah. a bag now. With me. And when you're, taking these, especially the behind the scenes shots and everything, you really have to be able to frame quickly, don't you? You do. Because yeah. you can't like take your time. You yes. Know? Yeah. I, and, you know, doing it for as long as I have, it, it's, it is fairly quick to know what is important and what the story is being told very quickly. And mm. luckily, you know, I can also use different lenses and zooms and do a variety of framing as well, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but yes, uh, everything happens generally quickly. So you need to do it while you can. It's, there's no, I'll come back and get that later because it will be gone or something will be different. And I wanted to mention that Roger and I went this morning to uh, wilsonweb.com and we're looking at your pictures and we're really struck by your framing. I mean, some of them are so beautiful. Yeah, always so, was. Though. I mean, yeah. I'm a serious man. I yeah. Mean, beautiful so I recommend yeah. that everyone go check out mm. your photos. That's very kind of you. Thank you. And I try to just, I only, I use Instagram too, and that's just professional, but some um, personal art more art-based photography, no, no family, you know, unless it's a good photo, but <laughs> no food, <laughs> no food yeah, for right. photos, nothing like yeah. that. So that's and a that's, nice that's uh, Wilson Webb? Wilsonweb.com and my Instagram, mm -hmm. yeah, if you just do Wilson, I think it's Wilson R. Webb, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. if you just put in Wilson Webb, it'll show Find up. It. Yeah. yeah. So so what, what do you do in your time off? You take photographs that just your own photographs, what are they of? What do you like photographing when you're not on a film set? Well, there's a few different things. Uh, of course, um, when I'm home, family is very, is very important to me and getting interesting images 
with family and things that are happening. There's always weird projects going around. My wife is a painter and printmaker and um, my daughter is 12 and she's always up to something strange. The other day she built a huge fort out of all the boxes we had in the basement out in the yard. And so <laughs> there's always, you know, weird abstract family photo. But then um, part of while why my wife and I, Carolyn, maybe found each other is we're both drawn to sort of these weird neglected places in the world and buildings that maybe are past their prime or someone tried to update and it's got old and new and they maybe didn't have the best the best uh, design or any kind of influence you know so odd things like for example I've worked I think I've done four pictures in Pittsburgh in the past couple of years and that town to me is one of my favorite towns to shoot in just to walk out and shoot or ride a bike mm-hmm. and shoot because there's so many you've got old big factories that's one thing about it but that's not really what i'm interested in it's more like you have all these strange buildings shoved up against each other with different uh textures and wires and just just crazy human aspect but without the humans uh, mm-hmm. if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. So that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to shoot is just get out and shoot on the street um, just to see how people live. And this is a really bizarre house or why is this thing on their porch? Or, you know, here's a phone book that's been sitting on the porch for eight years and it's all crinkled and it has moss growing in it, things like that. So what really mm-hmm. attracts me. But I also love like um, environmental portraits. If I'm going to do a portrait, I'd like it to be kind of in a, a setting that the people are familiar with or mean something. So I know this is no good for podcasts, but just example, <laughs> this is with an old uh, 7 by 17 camera. All right. Wow. It's a wow. 100-year-old Corona uh, view huh. camera. And so if I'm shooting with that, you know, not only is it a form, yeah. format that's similar to my X-Pan, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's about what's going on around this person and, and you know, just an environment. So that's kind mm-hmm. of what I'm drawn to. So after working a full day on the set, you've got the energy to go out and shoot. Depends on how long the More day. More power was. to you. <laughs> it depends yeah, on how long. It's usually weekends. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it's usually weekends. Okay, now that makes sense. <laughs> I often go on a jog carrying a camera, which is not easy when it because this is usually my walk around camera. Yeah, wow. Wow. <laughs> a little bit heavy to yeah. go jogging with. Yeah. <laughs> I carry it like this, and um, I, I got I got a little liker, and I sometimes go jogging with it, but that's heavy enough. <laughs> <laughs> it only bit me but once it, when I was in New Orleans. I got a in a you know in a uh, downpour, which as you know happens all the time in the summer, and ruin pretty much ruined that camera. So I oh. <laughs> send it in, but <laughs> but generally it works out fine. <laughs> it's actually a really good idea to take a camera with you when you go out because yeah. one, it makes you look more which is great. I get always into my head, which is mm-hmm. not good. And two, you've got the opportunity to yeah. shoot something. I, I'm getting terrible. I've stopped yeah. taking my camera. And I, 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 I used to carry it everywhere. And it was like when we were doing 1917 with Sam again, 
He said, where's your camera? Because he was yeah. so used to me always carrying oh, yeah. a camera yeah. with me. Yeah. And when I was operating, I'd just give it to Andy and put it on the back of the dolly or something. Yeah. Right. I'd always have it, yeah. but uh, I've got you would often use it, get back in it again. You'd often use it for checking ratios, too, when shooting film, right? I, I, I certainly did. When, uh, when I was shooting film, I had that Polaroid camera. What was it? Kodak 100 or something was called, no, wasn't it? I don't it? remember, yeah. And, um, yeah, I'd take black and white Polaroids of the set just to check the mm -hmm. balances. I remember on True Grit, you had a color Leica, or a digital Leica, yeah. I believe, wasn't it? Yeah. So you'd use that too. Yes. Right? Yes, I started using uh, my uh, my street camera, as it were, mm -hmm. instead of a Polaroid then. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that well, was about the last time I ever took any Polaroid. We were at that point also sending it to the timer as a reference, yes. which we don't need to do thing. anymore yeah. in digital. Yeah, right. that developed, didn't it? Once you had a laptop and you could photoshop it mm -hmm. and and just make sure it was what you wanted and send it out yeah. but again it was something you had to do at night after a full day yeah. which was yeah. tough oh uh, yeah but i mean i used to i used to go out at the end of the day if we finished shooting before it got dark i'd be out with my stills camera <laughs> sometimes especially in new mexico I yeah mean, you really make, got a lot there make the best of all the day out there there's just so much to see and yeah yeah, yeah, it's hard to take a bad yeah. picture there and in Iceland. Yeah. They're hard to take bad photos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where's the hardest place to take a good photo? Boy, that's you a say? good question. A closet? We're shooting in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. <laughs> but I yes, I to come back, if you don't have your camera with you, you won't be able to have the opportunity to take a a photo, so I, I find it's important to try to take one with me anytime I can. And even, mm -hmm. sometimes I don't ever use it, but um, often I do. And so, you know, I have a lot of cameras, so I kind of just file through. Uh, let me carry this them. one for a while. Let me carry <laughs> yeah. this weird one yeah. for a while. And it makes, yeah. again, it keeps my brain moving, thinking. In the it's interesting. There's two of my favorite photographers in later in their life i think one only did actually ralph eugene meatyard used to photograph his kids what a great name yeah a great <laughs> name but his photographs are not known that well but they're really wonderful the use of light and the surreal quality he gets just with his kids and the other photographer who i knew because he was a teacher when i was at art college was um roger main who was a very famous street photographer mm -hmm. one of the first mm -hmm. street photographers really photographed um parts of what is now not in Hill, London, around that area, mm -hmm. in the 50s. But later in his life, he just dedicated himself for, to photographing his kids growing up. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's some of those images, you should see them, you can find them online. They're really, really stunning images, you know, just yeah, very it's, simple. It's interesting. I've been reading a Sally Mann biography recently, and you oh, know, yeah. she obviously shot a lot of her own children, and those were more controversial because of, they were very young kids. A lot of times yeah, they didn't have yeah. clothes on, but, um, mm. but she says it was just, you know, a natural extension. It wasn't, it wasn't like, I want to do something that's controversial. Or I'm just documenting family life. And so when I have a camera with me and I'm doing the same thing, I would say that, um, you know, maybe again, maybe half of them aren't worth showing anybody. And yeah. then a quarter of them are for family. And then, you know, maybe an eighth of them are really good images, no matter who they are and, and what, mm -hmm. you know, whose family it is. 
But if mm-hmm. I didn't take all those percentage, a hundred percent of all those, I wouldn't get the smaller percentage. So another good yeah. reason to always have a camera with you, you know, and you never, or at least my family, you never quite know what's going to happen throughout the day. So we could end up mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. very odd or interesting or makes for a good photo or, you know, again, it's the end of the day and the light is amazing. And it's just one picture of my daughter, Ramona. We were actually at a putt-putt golf kind of place, um, but <laughs> like an older one. And it didn't have anything to do with putt-putt golf. But in the background, they had an old tractor and it was dusk and the light was going down and it was a, it was a nice little breeze. And I just asked her to turn towards me and and caught her hair moving and the light was beautiful with this out of focus weird tractor behind her but it's all about her attitude and this moment in time that to me anyways is just beautiful and uh, if i decided not to take camera that way that day yeah i wouldn't be talking about yeah. it it wouldn't influence me yeah. to do other mm-hmm. things so you tell me you still live in minneapolis st paul's right do you find that, I mean, just for other people, a lot of people ask us, um, do I have to move to London or LA or New York or something? Do you, you find uh, any restriction from that? or? Well, yes and no. Um, if I worked in LA or New York, I could probably work as many days as I wanted to uh, throughout the year, more or less. Because I live here, I have to be hired as a distant hire anywhere I go, mm-hmm. which costs the production more money. So I generally don't work in LA or New York. Having said that, it's been a lot of things recently I've gone and done, but because there's so many photographers in Los Angeles and New York, they want to save their budget and they want to hire somebody locally most times, mm. not always, but most times. Um, so I guess I would, I would say I'd lose out on some work from living here. But mm-hmm. um, when I was an electrician, and deciding what route to go and trying to think about, should I move to LA? I just decided that if I had to live in LA, I would do something otherwise for my career. So I was fortunate enough that I had that set experience. I had photography experience and people now know my name well enough that I'm worth paying the money to travel and to put up in a house and things like that. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, But when you're starting, I would say that it definitely would be helpful to be in one of those places where there's more film work happening because mm-hmm. you need the experience. You need less excuses for people to not hire you. Okay. Um, and so with that combination, I'd say that it's rather important, but not hundred yeah. percent necessary. And, yeah. and like I think you mentioned before, everybody gets to their place in a, at, a, at a different route. You know, and so there's not always people ask me that all the time, too. Like, I want to be a photographer. How do I start? And so I put a frequently asked questions on my website. On the top of my website, you'll see um, questions I used to get a lot. And so now Mm -hmm. people can just look at that. But that's often one of them is, you know, how do I start? And um, the answer is kind of a little bit general because everyone gets to different places or, or, you know, different routes they use different routes to get to different places but um you need the experience and you need to be where things are happening you know and Mm -hmm. just like anyone interested in being anything on a crew if you can get your time in 
on a low budget where the mistakes are not as important when you make them, but you're still getting an idea of how a set works and what, you know, how I, how everything operates, then you're going to be better when you get to the, the more stressful and bigger budget. Yeah. Things, yeah, right. you know? yeah. <laughs> and then just tell us about, I mean, you know, and again, a lot of people ask particularly about us. I mean, we live together and work together. So our kind of like our family life is our work. But it must be a strain. You go away for many months to all over the country. What's the furthest you've ever been on a job, for instance? I've been to Greenland and Iceland and right. Norway. Well, I would say Greenland was probably the longest. It is stressful mm. on, on family. Our general rule of thumb as a family is try not to go more than three weeks without seeing each other. So mm -hmm. I'll either come home or they will either come to where I am and Part of the upside is hopefully that my wife and daughter, especially my daughter, are seeing different places they wouldn't have seen. They get to experience yeah. different, you know, ways yeah. of living. And hopefully that's an education too. That was one of the things that actually attracted me, I suppose, to the film and originally shooting documentaries because I'd never really traveled until I started working on films. And it really is a wonderful way to experience the world. It is. And, it, and we get to go places that a lot of people don't get to see. Yeah. You know, I shot in Rome on a film and I got to go underneath the baths of Kalakara and, and like, well, you know, it wasn't always fun, but it was uh, yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. places, you know. And, yeah. and yeah. so for that, yeah, I agree. I think that for me, just traveling and seeing places is a big plus for the job as well as being difficult sometimes for family life and living mm. but that is still part of my favorite part of the job any any time i go somewhere i won't stay home i'll go out on the weekends and find out where things are in historical mm. monuments and parks and just try to better myself and see things mm. i wouldn't have been able to see otherwise you know i've got a question kind of out of the blue, but it just occurred to me. With your pictures, who owns them, the studio or you? So legally, the studio owns anything I shoot. That being said, it's so I'm a gun for hire. But that being said, if there are photos that I take that are not directly attributable to a film set, and I don't add those to my photos going into the studio, then I have the rights to keep those. If that mm -hmm. makes any sense. So if we're in mm -hmm. New Mexico and, you know, it sets over there and I go shoot over here while I'm waiting for something to happen, has nothing to do with the film. Obviously, yeah. obviously those don't go to the studio and I keep them. Um, mm -hmm. So all that being said, there is kind of some wiggle room. The older film is, the less they generally care about images, depending on the studio. Ah. And... There are deals that can be made if I want to make a book or something to get the rights and to go through legal and make sure it's, you know, but I would, that's something I would have to do to mm -hmm. do a kind of a retrospective or some larger volume of something, you know, but then there's a lot of gray areas too. Cause like when I was an electrician, one of the films I worked on was straight story, David Lynch. Mm -hmm. Well, Loved it. I just finished this for David Lynch and it's uh -oh. it's um images photos. yeah but they took them as an electrician so uh -huh. there are a lot wow. of 
very odd, not all, all very odd photos. So it's a lot of photos I, that nobody else might be interested in, maybe. <laughs> oh, I don't know. They're beautiful, yeah. They're very beautiful. And they're all yeah. shot with 3200. That's all I used to shoot with. So they're kind of grainy and they're kind of <laughs> a lot of energy going on. <laughs> cool. But what made me think about them is last summer I worked with Jack Fisk, who is a production designer and yeah. mm-hmm. has done all of David Lynch's films. They went, mm-hmm. they met in college, I believe. Jack is married to Sissy Spacek. And Sissy mm-hmm. and Jack both did the straight story film. And Mm -hmm. so when I worked with Jack, we just hit it off. And I said, you know, I think I have some photos of Sissy that no one's ever seen and sitting in my basement. So I sent all these negatives. It was only maybe eight rolls, maybe Mm -hmm. 10 rolls. I sent it to be scanned. It's something I hadn't looked at in 20 years. And I got them back and they were very interesting to look at, to see Mm. where my head was and where my eye was at that time. And oh. they were better than I thought they would have been, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and That's good. so I just thought, well, someone else besides myself should see these. So mm-hmm. I just made a book for Jack and I made a book for David. Wow. And who knows if anyone else will ever see them, but it doesn't really matter, <laughs> I guess, you know? Great. <laughs> mm, <okay. laughs> but like that, would, that's like weird territory because now, you know, Disney owns the rights, I believe, unless someone else is bought the rights to that mm-hmm. film so if i wanted to try to publish it it would be a lot of legal steps to do mm-hmm. that you know even wow. though i wasn't the set photographer i don't know where that balance right. would fall right. in that case you know because i wasn't supposed to be taking images mm-hmm. photos. it's kind of a fine yeah. line <laughs> yeah. yeah it always is <laughs> yeah. yeah seeing kind of the the cameras that you work with and the modern race of resolution and technology and new cameras changing every other year with, and then people arguing about color science and Sony and Canon and all these different companies. How much do you think that matters uh, in the world of photography and do you really pay attention to it? And what would you have to say to a young filmmaker or photographer who really just is getting caught up in a lot of that stuff? Yeah, that I think that's a big problem actually for people these days is that we have so much access to information about technology that they get stuck in which camera I should have, um, which lenses I should have. It's so easy to spend all day looking at three different lenses online or the different cameras coming out. And in the same time, you could have been outside learning more about the art form and also the technical aspects of it. So I do keep track of what's going on. I don't do it as religiously as I used to. Also, I I favor film cameras, so there's not much going on new there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I've kind of gotten to a place where I've tried every camera I wanted to try film-wise, and so I'm very comfortable with what I with what I have, uh, more or less. I mean, that being said, I always like to try a new camera. But I guess I would say that adage of the the best camera is the one you have with you is true, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's uh, good. And it's more important to really learn what your style is and uh, how you work and what you like and what you're attracted to than it is, I got to have this camera and this many pixels. All the cam- All the digital cameras are so good a good photographer is given any of those, they can make a great photo. There might be very tiny little differences, but it's nothing that couldn't 
be made to look like another camera. So when people ask me what camera should I buy, I can tell you, I tell you what I like, but you should go feel these cameras, get an idea of how they work. You should, if you can borrow one for a day, do it and, and don't get too hung up on it, especially because they're a new one comes out every six months. So you can buy good quality lenses. You know, you might have a lifetime, but a, your digital body is going to change 40 times in your life nowadays, you know? So that being said, I guess I would, I would also say that I'm sorry, I kind of go backwards a little bit and I'm more about what old processes can I learn that are, are fading away and how can I learn more about the past history of photography is what I've been more interested in. And uh, like on Little Women, I shot uh, wet plate uh, collodion images. Oh, wow. You mm. can see Laura Dern. This is a piece of aluminum that I shot on, and this is the negative, mm. you know, and just right. learning that whole process of pouring collodion on and dipping it in the silver bath and that whole thing was really um fascinating to me and it was kind of something that i had to reach out beyond myself and push myself to learn and it was a constraint of whether or not we were going to be able to shoot the actors could you know would the studio pay for all this all that kind of things did i have enough light because because um collodion uses uv light so flashes aren't really great there's not a lot of UV coming out of them, even when you take the protectors off. So um, it was a lot of learning and a lot of things like uh, that had to come together at the same time, you know, and a large format 8x10 film camera and how you're going to get a lens that's fast enough. And But to me, that was way more exciting and interesting than can I afford a Hasselblad digital camera because it's amazing <laughs> quality, you know? <laughs> I'd rather buy the 1883 lens and learn the old processes. So don't get hung up in your cameras, the long and short of it, I guess. <laughs> get out there and make work, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, do it, yeah. Well, good. I just want to remind everyone to uh, check out Wilson's website, wilsonweb.com, and the Instagram feed, Wilson R. Webb, I believe. Thanks for listening. If you want more information and further discussion, check out the forums at www.rogerdeacons.com. Becoming a member is free, and you can ask follow-up questions there. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more new questions and topics. Also, check us out on Instagram at team.deacons. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>